Hej allihopa! Denna vecka gästas vi av fantastiska Caroline Dooner som är en stor kändis internationellt. Hon har flera hundratusen följare och har skrivit boken The Fuck It Diet och kommer under våren släppa en till bok. Detta avsnitt är då på engelska så att ni får faktiskt stå ut med min äkta Volvo-engelska. Ni kommer höra den göteborska brytningen långt igenom så att säga. Dagens podd presenteras i samarbete med min utbildning Matfri som du hittar på www.matfri.se Matfri är för oss som provat allt men aldrig lyckas långsiktigt med maten. Att maten ger skuld och skam och slukar all livsglädje. Hos Matfri får du support för att lyckas bli vän med maten och kroppen så att du kan fokusera på livet. Ingen diet fungerar i längden och 95% av oss som börjar med en diet går upp allt igen och två tredjedelar går upp mer än innan. Att få en relation med maten som fungerar över tid är så oerhört viktigt för livet. Både välmående, psykisk hälsa och fysisk hälsa. Hos Matfri så får du en strukturerad utbildning, regelbunden coaching och en stor grupp deltagare som du kan hitta stöd i. Kika in på matfri.se. Veckans läsarfråga kommer från Frida. Hej Mi, jag har bantat sedan jag var 13 och jag har aldrig haft en normal relation till mat. Jag var tjock när jag var liten och vården låg på mig och mamma hela tiden och gå ner i vikt. Jag är riktigt trött på detta, att alltid utvärdera mig själv utifrån hur bra jag åt under dagen. Att alltid känna skam och skuld för vad jag äter. Jag har bestämt mig att försöka laga relationen till maten men insett att jag är livrädd varje gång jag ska äta. Varje gång jag sätter mig ner så börjar hjärtat att slå, armarna åker upp till öronen och rösten i huvudet bara skriker att jag ska sluta. Jag hatar att äta men såklart så älskar jag det. Hur ska jag någonsin få en normal relation med maten om jag är så rädd? Tack för en bra podd, Frida. Och mitt svar då, hej Frida. Tack för ditt mejl och verkligen så stor igenkänning. Det är att kulturen har lärt oss att inte lyssna på våra kroppar. Att vi behöver stränga regler för att annars blir allt kaos. Eftersom vi har slutat lyssna på våra kroppar och lägger vår tillit till experter så blir vi lätt väldigt rädda för våra egna eh, kroppar. Vi bygger liksom upp en skräck för att äta. Och jag vill verkligen uppmuntra dig att försöka inventera vad den resan handlar om. För jag tror inte att det handlar om mat egentligen, utan vad mat står för. Eftersom vi ofta bantar så är det lätt att vi hetsäter. Hetsäter vi så får vi ofta dåligt självförtroende kring mat. Vi har bara en massa dåliga erfarenheter, hur det spårar ut och hur dåligt vi mår efteråt. En annan sak är också vad mat representerar. Vi är ofta rädda för att gå upp i vikt. Att gå upp i vikt är förenat med en känsla att vara otrygg, att inte få höra till, att känna sig ovärdig, oälskad och otillräcklig. Allt det ligger inbakat i maten på din tallrik så därför är det inte konstigt att du känner dig rädd. Ett tips är att se mat som vilken fobi som helst, som spindlar eller höga höjder. Den försvinner bara om du utsätter för dig om och om igen. Du behöver helt enkelt bygga bra erfarenheter kring mat och bygga ditt självförtroende. Ett tips för det är att innan du äter mat som du klassar som förbjuden, ät dig mätt på säker mat. När vi är mätta kan vi oftast hantera all typ av mat mycket bättre, vilket leder till att vi sakta bygger vårt självförtroende. Är du vrålhungrig och äter mat som gör dig otrygg så är det stor sannolikhet att du hetsäter. Likaså gäller om du är stressad, ledsen, dålig sömn eller med andra orsaker. Och då är det inte konstigt att du äter mer än vad du vill äta. 
Och behöver du mer stöttning så är du alltid välkommen att gå utbildningen matfri som både då är utbildning, community och coachning. Och jag önskar dig all lycka till på din resa. Om du som lyssnar på det här har en fråga så snälla maila mig på my.matfri.se för att ställa den. Men nu kör vi igång. Idag har jag med mig Caroline Duner. Hon är en eh, influencer kan man säga. Hon har flera hundratusentals följare på Instagram. Men även eh, en blogg som är otroligt populär. Hon har även skrivit två böcker. Den första som redan är ute. Som du kan hitta på Amazon. Som du kan köpa här i Sverige. Som heter The Fuck It Diet. Eh, och även en ny som kommer ut nu i början av 2022. Men... Eh, jag vet att i Sverige så kan vi typ ingenting om intuitivt ätande och alltså antidieter och alltihopa. Utan det är ganska blankt här i Sverige faktiskt. Det enda vi har det är liksom typ vård för ätstörda eller ätstörningar. Men inte för oss med vad ska man säga, lite dysfunktionellt ätande. Och här har Caroline gjort en fantastisk skillnad genom att skriva sin bok och driva sin blogg och verkligen syna till dietkulturen. Så att jag tänkte istället för att jag ska köta massa så släpper jag in henne här. Welcome Caroline! Hello! Thank you for having me! I Thank feel you. like I heard the, the word influencer in there. <laughs> I don't identify as an influencer. Um, that's so great. Um, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy to, to have you here. I have followed your blogs for like, I don't know how many years. So wow. I have, I'm so glad that you said yes to, to, uh, to be my guest and tell the and educate us swedish people on the fucking diet because <laughs> we have like no clue here about anything about anti-diets or intuitive eating or yeah so please tell us what is the fucking diet the fucking diet was first it was my own personal reaction to being obsessed with diets for 10 years. I, since I was uh, 14, I started dieting like a religion. You know, I thought that it was going to save me and make me so healthy and make me so beautiful and so happy and just like fix my life. And uh, I really believed that I had a food addiction because I sort of acted like a food addict. I, I was a binge eater, even as a child, I was a binge eater. And I didn't realize how much it was actually stemming from feeling deprived and, and mental restriction, which is what I call it when it's not actual physical restriction. It's just kind of like in your mind and has to do with, you know, sometimes how you're parented. But I felt like a, a binge eater. I felt like a food addict. And I was like, great, diets are gonna help me and are gonna fix me and make me healthier and happier and 
fix my addiction. Um, and for anyone who has gone on many diets, you probably know that it makes you feel even more addicted to food when you're dieting. Um, and most people when they're dieting think, oh my God, look, this is just more proof that I am a horrible food addict and I have no willpower and I need to go on another better diet. And so that's what I did for 10 years. And I felt so out of control and so miserable and so angry with myself. And it, it really made my health worse and worse and worse and worse. But I thought that it was because of my food addiction and not because of my dieting and yo-yo dieting, which was causing so much more binging um, than it, than I would have been binging if I hadn't been dieting. So 10 years into dieting, I, I, I call it my epiphany. And, um, I had this really, really, really strong, um, intuitive sense that I really, I had to stop. And that if I didn't stop and I had tried intuitive eating before, but I treated it just like a diet. And so it didn't work. It, you know, I, or I, I thought that it didn't work because I wasn't actually intuitive eating. I was just trying to eat the smallest amount possible. So it backfired just like every other diet. And I realized in that moment when I decided to go on what I called like half jokingly, the fuck it diet, I realized that my big problem keeping me stuck with food and dieting was my obsession with weight. Like it finally became clear that I was never, ever, ever, ever going to heal or get any better with my relationship with food if I was trying to micromanage and suppress my weight and become extremely skinny. That was always my goal. I thought that was the healthiest thing that I could do. Um, so I began writing about what I was experiencing as I tried to take away all rules on eating and all rules around, you know, exercise and everything. I was writing about it and I was also researching um, because I actually started off saying, okay, if I need to let myself gain weight, I need to start reading about radical fat acceptance. Like, I think that'll help me so much. So I sought out these books that then led me to Health at Every Size, which is this movement essentially that is fully based in science. There's a book, I highly recommend it, um, that explains exactly why dieting does not work. It backfires again and again and again. It's our biology. It actually will raise our weight set point over time and make it harder and harder and harder to lose weight. Not because it's a bad, not because, you know, we're not supposed to be gaining weight. It's actually this protective thing that our body's trying to protect us from all these diets that we're going on because it feels like a famine. So I was amazed that my intuitive hunch was actually then backed up by science. You know, it's not mainstream. It's not the mainstream, um, you know, narrative around health and, and food and weight, but it is fully, fully backed by science. And what's interesting is the woman who wrote the book said, you know, I made a vow when I graduated with my PhD to never take, um, money from, I think she said from big pharma, 
to do her research because that often skews the results that she was always going to be an independent researcher. Um, so it really, it all blew my mind. It just made me want to write about it even more. And, um, it eventually turned into the fuck a diet book and my huge crazy Instagram account that I have a love hate relationship with. Um, but it, it totally changed my life and, um, for the better. And, uh, and yeah, that's the fuck a diet. It feels like this separate thing from me. Like it feels like something that I was lucky to, to learn from and like give birth to in a certain <laughs> way, but it doesn't feel like me, which is really interesting. Um, but yeah, that's the fuck it diet. Okay, Caroline, sorry for calling you an influencer. You yeah, are it's okay. it's you are a re- revolutionary person. <laughs> a diet riot. <laughs> yeah, but <clears throat> I think you, you you say so much fantastic stuff here, but I think that here in Sweden, you know, I have really re- researched about this. I didn't find anything about haze here or mm. or anything about intuitive eating or nothing about that uh, everyone is really really you know like they see like the binges are the problem mm. and the diets are the solution mm. mm-hmm. but the fuck it diet is like yeah you turn it that around right right and that's the thing i mean it's it's so it's <laughs> It's really such an effective business model (laughs) for diets because not only are we blaming ourselves every time we fail on a diet, but our entire culture and everybody who we talk to is like, yep, that's you. It's your willpower. You just got to, you know, be better on your diet. And so it feels so real because we feel so out of control around food and we feel so addicted to food. It really, really feels very, very overwhelming and it mimics an addiction exactly, you know? And so it's very hard because it's so, um, it's so unusual for someone to go against the kind of the the diet model. And so people just spend their whole lives sure that they're a food addict because that is what going on diets will make you feel like. So it really, it's just the self-perpetuating thing. And I, I, I have to believe, you know, I do think like, you know, especially in the U S I, I do think that there are, um, diets, you know, diet company CEOs who know, you know, who know that it's this cycle that they're lucky that they have these, um, customers stuck in. But I also think that, you know, a lot of doctors and scientists really believe this big myth about food addiction. And I don't think we're being actively deceived by the majority of people, Um, it's, and it's just really, it's a really interesting phenomenon to see how, how that can skew the studies and, and the way that the studies are interpreted. Like that was a huge part in my research that blew my mind to, to understand that there's something called, um, publication bias where it actually affects the way that studies are done, the way that scientists interpret the data. And if they don't find what what the um, 
what they're expected to find, often the studies aren't published at all. You know, they're kind of scrapped or like there must have been something wrong with that or publishing it will um, negatively affect my reputation. And so we often don't get unbiased science. Um, it's just really fascinating and um, a little scary. <laughs> but, but, you know, there are, there are enough people now who are speaking about um, the science of anti-diet and the science of intuitive eating. And, you know, they've really seen that intuitive eating, there are a lot of studies behind intuitive eating now that it really does improve your health. It improves your insulin levels. It improves your mental health. It improves your chronic inflammation. So, you know, there is science behind not dieting. It's just not mainstream yet. It's becoming a little bit more mainstream, but it's just not fully mainstream yet. When I talk with my friends and, uh, They tell me like, well, on Monday, I'm going on this new fantastic diet. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, no, please just listen to your bodies and eat whatever you want. And they mm -hmm. tell me that if I do that, I will eat cookies for all entire my life and I will mm -hmm. die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Is that's that what, true? That's what most people who diet feel. That's 100% what I thought. When I would hear people say, oh, you know, you don't need to die. I had friends who were kind of normal eaters who'd be like, oh, you don't really need to be that extreme. And I was like, no, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. I am a food addict. Like, I can't listen to my body. Like, my body is going to eat the entire cabinet of snacks. Like, that's – and it's what I did. You know, I wasn't making it up. It's I was, you know, believing that about myself based on – having done that before, you know? So it's really, it's so hard to, it's so hard to convince someone who is, who is really, really, really sure that they're a food addict and that dieting helps them. You know, I'll never forget, especially with younger people who haven't, um, who haven't really failed on diets enough time, but obviously even adults and all the way up until, You know, every, everyone can get stuck in this, but I'll never forget trying to tell my sister who's a lot younger than me. She's nine years younger than me. So I was in my twenties kind of learning all of this and she was a teenager starting dieting. And I, I would tell her, Margaret, you don't, you know, I try to explain to her like you're binging because you're going on a diet and because you feel so guilty about these foods. And she said, no, 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 Caroline, when I dieted last summer, I did it so well and I lost so much weight and it was so great. And I just have to do that again. And I was like, oh man, yeah, that's what I thought too. Mm. That's exactly what I thought. I, I thought I, I did this, this one perfect diet that I did so well. And I was so happy, like so convinced. I was so happy because I was so proud of myself And everything was so great. And I just need to do that again and do it better and do it for the rest of my life. Yeah. It's so hard to convince someone who's in that, that it, they're in this cycle. And I, I honestly, unfortunately, you know, you can plant seeds. You can talk about your experience. I find that to be really effective to say, you know, this is what I experienced and this is what I believed. And this is what I eventually did. 
I think that can plant a seed in someone, um, even if they're not ready to believe it or to do it themselves. But I think it often comes down to someone really, really experiencing that backlash, that biological backlash. I haven't even really explained what it is, but when we diet, we are actually, our hormones are actually change and it raises our hunger hormones. It makes food taste better. It makes us think about food nonstop, makes us hungrier, lowers our metabolism um, to, you know, conserve energy, which is why we are wired to obsess over food, to binge and to gain weight really, really quickly after a diet, because it's actually mimicking what we would do and how our bodies would try to save our lives in a famine. And I feel like a lot of people hear that and they think, okay, well, how can I like, how can I avoid that then? Like, how can I override <laughs> that and, and, and not have my body think it's in a famine? And you can't, like, you really can't. Um, we need to eat, you know, we need to eat dense food and good food and nourishing food and being afraid of carbs is not serving us at all. Um, but it's a very biological backlash that I feel like people have to experience enough times to finally admit, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't working. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was on keto for 11 years. Oh, wow. yeah, I know. It's a really, really long time. I didn't eat sugar for seven years. Wow. And yeah, of course, I, you know, I have lost 205, um, What do you call? Oh, 95 kilos. I don't know how to translate mm -hmm. it in. <laughs> yeah, I it's a lot, of, a lot of weight. So I was really afraid, you know, I'm going to get all that back. I'm going mm -hmm. to get in a wheelchair. And, you know, I was so afraid. But that was one thing. I actually believe that I'm going to get cancer. I'm going to get a heart failure, you know, if I eat fruit. Right, right, right. You know, because it's like you're in this cult. Yeah. Uh-huh. One it's million like percent. That's exactly <laughs> what it's like. It really is. With, with those more specific diets, too, it really is. It becomes your religion. Yeah. You know? And it's terrifying. We're, we're terrified of these things. Like, if you told anybody, like, oh, I am terrified of fruit. If they hadn't heard of the keto diet, they'd be like, why <laughs> you know yeah yeah I, i i remember first time i ate an apple i got this strong strong panic attacks yeah it was terrible and yeah i would be fat get in a wheelchair get cancer you know everything yeah and um then i understand that you know i always thought that I used food to control my life, but no, mm -hmm. I used diet to control mm -hmm. my life. Right. That's the, that's the, you know, a lot of people say, well, I am addicted to food. I, I, you know, I totally, I use food to manage my emotions and many, 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 most people in our culture today with all the brainwashing around fear around foods and fear around getting weight, most people use diets as a way, like uh, the addiction is the dieting. That's the addiction. That's the thing that we are stuck on and that we use to try and not have to feel and deal with what's, you know, what's underneath. Yeah. 
But how how do you eat without guilt? I think it takes um, I think it takes a lot of deliberate unlearning. So if you can read as many things as possible about why you don't have to feel guilty, I think that that's really helpful because it's like a re-education process. Um, an undoing of the brainwashing because it's the brainwashing and the beliefs that we have about certain foods and why we should feel guilty eating those foods. Those are the reasons that we feel guilt. So if we can examine those, unlearn those, learn new things that are more supportive of your own intuition, um, I think that's really helpful. And then the other thing is exposure therapy. I mean, until you actually eat the apple, <laughs> a couple times and see, okay, I think I'm all right, you know, and eat other things you're afraid of, whatever they may be, even if they're, you know, we were kind of talking about this before, but before we started recording, but I like to be very careful not to uh, make people think that any food is bad, because I really think that that gets in the way of healing from this diet obsession and getting to a place of freedom and getting to a place of intuition and listening to your body. Obviously, I don't think that if we lived on a diet of Oreos alone, that we would be very happy or very healthy. But I don't think that being afraid of them, if they're your big food fear that you feel like you have no control over, I actually think it's in our best interest to let ourselves eat as many Oreos as we possibly can only to realize that they're not even that great. Like they're fine, you know, and that once you're allowed to eat Oreos, they're not that powerful anymore. I don't even know if you guys have Oreos in Sweden. <laughs> yes, we do. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, that I think people really struggle with the foods that they, that they're really convinced are very, very bad for them. And while I don't think that fake ingredients and all these additives are great for you by any means, I don't think that we should be eating a diet of, you know, only those things. But I think being afraid of them, I think is also really bad for us and actually keeps us in this sort of addicted state with certain foods that, um, that allows food to have too much power. And it allows these foods to stay these off limits binge foods that if we go to a party and we see them and we let ourselves have one, we're going to eat all of them because we're still afraid of them, you know? Mm. So I really think going through that process, that kind of exposure therapy um, process with foods you're afraid of and foods that you don't feel like you have control over can actually end up being really healing. And you'll realize, hey, food does not actually have that much power over me unless I'm hungry and then I should eat you know yeah yeah exactly and to make something really sexy just forbid it yeah exactly <laughs> exactly oh exactly yes yeah and I think it's a psychological like I think with stuff like that it's it's both psychological like just the psychological belief that I'm not allowed to have this specific food um, or that I have no control around this specific food and it's also biological because if we are in a state of constantly um restricting food or not eating enough carbs or not eating enough calories we're gonna also be physically addicted to those kinds of food yeah yeah but 
when I talk to people about the, uh, this, they uh, they always ask me how long, how long will I mm. just binge on this food uh, before I get in touch with my intuition or can choose a salad or yeah. Yeah, that's a great question and. And it's what everyone asks me to. <laughs> and that's what I would have, if I had had anybody who I thought that I could ask that to, I thought that I was like totally alone, crazy doing this. I didn't realize that there were all of these intuitive eating people who actually got it and who actually could have helped me. I had no idea. But I would have asked the same thing. Like, how long is this going to take? Is this going to take six months? Like, how long is it going to take? I think it is, well, I know that it's different for everybody. I just know that it is. Um, I would say it would take anywhere from three months to two years for some people. But I think what can be helpful for people is to kind of go food by food. If they're really, really afraid and really not trusting, start with one food or a couple foods that you don't, uh, that you're afraid of or don't feel like you have control over and allow yourself to just eat them with abandon and just, I, I would sometimes say eat to the other side, like eat, eat, like the way, you know, that quote, the only way out is through. Um, the only way to get to the other side where you're not feeling addicted is to eat that food. So if you can, let's use Oreos for an example, say Oreos are like the food that you have no control around. If you let yourself eat Oreos nonstop, even eat Oreos for lunch, for as long as it takes, I'm going to guess that it's only going to take a week or a couple weeks to be so sick of Oreos. <laughs> and if you can see it happen with one food and then two foods and then three foods, even if the whole process to like fully refeed your body and fully trust yourself and your cravings around foods takes say a year, you'll have a little bit of, um, you'll have a little bit more faith in the process if you can see it happening food by food by food. There's a couple of like methods, uh, anti-diet methods, and this is, yours is far, far the most brutal one. I know, I know. <laughs> and it's like, you have mindfully eat, mindfully eating and it's like, oh, be in the moment, really taste it. Maybe you get satisfied for like a half a cookie and then you get intuitive eating, like use this hunger scale and mm -hmm. don't, no, no var varieties, no, no distractions, nothing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and be in the moment. And yours is like, okay, just eat. I know. <laughs> and I know that it's terrifying. And you know, I, there's a reason, you know, there's a reason for it. It's because I tried to do all of those other methods and they didn't work for me because I was taking all of those rules, like be in the moment, eat slowly, have no distractions, rate your hunger. I was taking the rules and I was obsessing over them and I was turning them into a diet yeah. and I was getting stuck and I was overthinking and I was thinking I'm doing this wrong. I'm, you know, I'm not doing this perfectly. Oh, I ate, I, I'm a little bit full. That means I'm doing it wrong. Oh no, now I need to do it better. You know, I was, I was, I was overcomplicating things. And I think that a lot of people do that. And so I kind of wanted to speak to that 
if people had that experience, the answer is to just eat, you know? And, and we have this fear that if we just start eating, we're just never going to stop. And that has not been my experience. That has not been the experience of all of the people who I have worked with and the people who've read my book and done it on their own and, and worked with anti-diet dietitians and come back to me and said, oh my God, you know, I really genuinely thought that you were crazy and this wasn't going to work, but I actually have gotten to a place where I don't want Oreos, <laughs> say, and I want, you know, something that I never thought that I would crave before. So um, I know that it's terrifying. And the reason that I wrote it that way is because I didn't want to write any rules into the equation that would confuse people or stress people out or, um, or get in, in the way. And the amazing thing is I, I think that kind of going through this extreme process does get you to a place where you are able to listen to your hunger levels and you are more willing to, you know, to not inhale. Now I eat in front of the television. I eat really fast often. I, I don't find it to be a problem because it's usually when I'm really hungry that I'm eating really fast and it's fine. And even if I get really full, it's, it's like, okay, well, we'll just move on with our lives and have a meal in a couple hours. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't send me into the spiral and the, and the overthinking and the overcompensating and the anxiety that I've done something wrong and I'm going to gain weight and I'm going to be unhealthy and I'm going to, and I've ruined everything. You know, it allows it to just be food and usually our bodies and our intuition kind of like recalibrate and everything kind of evens out anyway, you know, our, our relationship to food becomes a lot easier. So yeah, I, 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 I understand that to some people it's like, I don't even, I don't know, I don't know where to start if you're telling me to just eat, but I also think that for a lot of people, saying, you know, you're allowed to just eat and you're not going to do it wrong. And there's no perfect way to do this anyway. You can just start. I think that can actually also be liberating for people. Mm. Yeah, it is. But what about the weight? Are you going to gain a lot of weight or what, what is happening with the weight? So again, this, this is, this is another big question that everyone has understandably, Because first of all, we've been told that gaining weight is the worst thing that could possibly happen to us, that it's unhealthy, that it's irresponsible, that it's we should avoid it at all costs. And also because genuinely gaining a lot of weight can be really hard. You ha often have to get new clothes and get used to living in a different body. And it, you know, to say like, oh, whatever, like just accept yourself. I don't think that that's realistic because there are emotional changes that have to come along with physical changes. So I totally understand the preoccupation with it. Unfortunately, the answer is something different is going to happen for everyone. And when people begin healing their relationship with food, Some people stay totally, even some people don't gain weight or lose weight. Some people lose weight. Most people gain weight and either stay there or they gain weight and then lose some weight. And it all has to do with what your natural genetic 
weight set range is. Some people are meant to be in a thinner body. Some people are meant to be in a bigger body. And that's just the way humans are. That's again, that's not the mainstream belief about, about health and weight, but that is, um, if you read into health at every size, if you read that book, it'll, it explains it pretty well. Our hypothalamus actually controls our metabolism to keep us in our healthy genetic weight set range. Other things can raise our set weight, our set range as well. It can be medications. It can be thyroid issues. It can be past attempts at dieting. That's, that's the big paradox that if you've been dieting over and over and over and over again, or like really suppressing your, the amount of food that you eat, that can actually raise your, the place where your body feels safe. And so, and there's really, you know, again, this is the thing where people are like, okay, so what do I do about it to become one of the people that have a low weight set range? There are a million books out there that talk about that. I don't find that to be very helpful or very true in becoming your healthiest, happiest, you know, version of yourself. Um, A lot of people are dieting to try and suppress their weight below where their weight wants to be. Those people will almost certainly gain weight when they're going through the healing process because that's what their body wants to do. People who are at kind of their healthy weight set range will sometimes gain weight and then go back to where they were. People who are above their weight set range and their body really wants to be below it because they've really been binging or they've really been gaining weight after diets, they may eventually lose weight. But I tell people to expect that gaining weight will be a part of this process. And I actually think even though there are a million reasons why it's stressful, especially if you have people in your life who are commenting on it or worried about you. Like there, there are a lot of things that, like we could talk about this probably for hours, right? Living in a fat phobic society where people think that everyone is supposed to be thin. Um, that's a lot of the reason why we are so messed up with food in the first place. So there's a lot to unpack there. But I say that gaining weight during this process is actually a really important and helpful part of the process because our fear of gaining weight is one of the things that keeps us stuck with food. And if we go through a process and we heal our relationship with food and we never gain weight, we never have to face that fear that we have of what our lives would be like or who we would be or how we would feel if we gained weight. And so we tend to stay afraid of it and that still affects our relationship with food. So I actually think that gaining weight during this process is really helpful and really healing. And I know this is like one of the things that like people can't even wrap their heads around because it's so different from what most people will say about health and healing and food and happiness, but it's what I have found to be true and what I, I think actually is, is a big missing piece of the puzzle for people when they try to heal their relationship with food. Usually it's, and this is what I did too. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to be an intuitive eater. This is before the fuck it died. I'm going to be an intuitive eater and I'm going to lose weight, you know? So that's what most people do. So going the opposite way and saying, you know what, I'm going to let myself gain weight if that's what my body needs. That was the healing part for me, actually, and for a lot of other people. 
And I think it's so important to, you know, like pin out why am I afraid? Uh, you know, I have lived in a really large body. Uh, I was like, I think um, it was like almost 400 pounds body before. And it was a really hard life. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, uh, with all the doctors and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And when I met my husband, I was, yeah, I, I have lost some, but, mm-hmm. you know, I was still really big. And people told me, oh, they told him because he's like normal sized guy who just fell in love with me and my personality. You know, his ex was really thin. So it wasn't like he was like this preferred bigger girls. Right. It was just love, you know. And they always told him and asked him like, oh my God, you're so, you know, brave. And, uh, and, and some people think that he it was something wrong with him, you know, mm. to, to, to be in love with me or something like that. And uh, so one of my biggest fear was, you know, not be sexy anymore. Right. Um, so I needed to, you know, follow a lot of women in bigger bodies who I think are really sexy and mm-hmm. also have men in uh, and are in happy relationship because yeah. my brain always tell me that, you will not be loved if you gain weight. Right. And and that's like actually said, you know, yeah. the fact that people would say that to your husband, like you're not crazy and making up this irrational fear. This is really how people think. And there is so much healing to do, you know, in the broader society over this and definitely within ourselves. Um, and and just what you said, actually witnessing other people in larger bodies in happier relationships is healing. <laughs> like it really is. And I think, that, and that's what, you know, when people say like, How, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? The answer really is to follow as many people in larger bodies and diverse bodies and in situations that you think are impossible, like you just said, and, and let that kind of work its magic. Let that again, reteach you. Like we have so much unlearning and relearning to do. And that is a, that's a, that's a really big one too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one, one more key is to, you know, like recognize your privilege. Like Mm -hmm. even if, I have a fat body. I'm still white. Mm-hmm. I'm <laughs> Swedish, mm-hmm. so I have mm-hmm. free healthcare and free mm-hmm. education, and and I have a lot in my life to be grateful for. You know, I just mm-hmm. got twins, and oh, wow. yeah, it's really great. And oh, you know, okay. I have PCOS just like you, uh-huh. so they always tell me, you know, you have to lose weight to get pregnant. We we work for it for like four years, then I gained like 60 pounds and I got pregnant oh my gosh (laughs) that's so amazing oh congratulations how old are they they are seven months oh my gosh (laughs) so they are really tiny oh my gosh and you know it's like this this is so about you know health at every size that 
I had so much trouble with my menstruation. And when I was, you know, at my lowest weight, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't get it for a year. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I was like visiting all these kind of doctors and they just told me you need to lose more weight, even if if I had, you know, size small in my pants. And, and when I just let it go and ate, then it comes, you know, like every month and I get pregnant. Yep. And that is like, that is just, that's the thing that just kills me. It it really, 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 I've heard that so many times, so many times with people with PCOS and, or in bigger bodies that when they are at their lowest weight, they have all of these health problems. They can't get pregnant. They don't have their period. And their doctor just looks at them and says, well, it's because you need to lose more weight. Yeah. And it's not. (laughs) And then they have a similar story where they say, I just finally gave up on the whole thing, gained a bunch of weight, healed my relationship with food. And it improved whatever health problem it is, or I was able to get pregnant. Like, it's just so... And this is the thing. This is the thing where like, it's very common. It's such a common experience, but it's still not mainstream knowledge. It's still not mainstream knowledge that most doctors understand. Some do, most don't. And it's just this, you know, and I think that's the thing where people get into this kind of cognitive dissonance where they're like, well, why, why wouldn't it be? If it was true, why wouldn't all these doctors know about it? And it's like, well, I wish I had an answer for you, <laughs> but that's the, you know, progress is slow. We don't yeah. know everything right now. You know, we don't have it all figured out. You know, we're still f- figuring things out clearly, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it, it's very hard and it's very, it can be really, really disheartening and really difficult, but also really exciting to hear a story like yours. Like that's an amazing story. You know? I'm really grateful. Um, you know, um and 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 just to you know see that all my blood works, all my health, everything is so much better. That's even so I'm great. like obese, you know. Right. No, right. No, that's amazing. And that's just the thing like it's experiences like that that really help people to trust, you know, trust isn't won overnight. You can't just read a book. Like you can't just read my book and be like, great, I'm healed. I trust everything. I I can just eat normally and la-di-da, like snap your fingers. I'm healed. It takes time. It takes experiencing small improvements. And then it takes an experience like that saying, look, look how much better of a situation I'm in now, you know? Yeah. And that is what you know, builds trust in our bodies and, you know, will will keep us going. Because if it wasn't working for you, well, then you'd probably be thinking, okay, well, something's still, so I haven't, you know, something's yeah. still not right. You know, maybe I should be cutting out gluten, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and, you know, of course, some people need to, some people have, you know, I would never say like people don't have allergies and, you know, this and that. And everyone has a different situation and needs different things. But I still believe that healing your relationship with food will help you to figure those things out from the most empowered 
place where you don't feel like you're constantly in this like misery where you're actually like listening to your body and taking care of yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that is so true in another area as well. You're a rebellion on rest. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Please yes. tell us. So I realized that there is such a parallel between our hunger and our exhaustion. We live in societies where we are taught that we cannot trust our hunger. We must go on a diet. We must suppress that hunger. We must manage it. We must, you know, eat foods that are appetite suppressant or, you know, drink teas that are appetite suppressant or whatever. And we live in a culture that does the exact same thing with rest, that kind of makes us feel like we must be productive. And if, if we're tired, there's probably something wrong with you. And maybe you need to go on a diet (laughs) or maybe you need to exercise and be less tired when the answer is usually rest. And just like we don't understand what dieting can do to our relationship with food and our appetite, we don't really understand how common burnout is and the way that the ways that burnout manifest and burnout can manifest as just kind of um, brain fogginess and kind of like low levels of depression where you're just sort of like, don't really feel like doing things or aren't really excited by anything. Those can actually just be signs of chronic physical and even mental exhaustion and burnout And very few of us are giving ourselves the permission because no one else is giving us permission. We don't give ourselves the permission to rest and to do less and to kind of let ourselves off the hook a little bit. Usually we're kind of under these, I call them shoulds. I talk about them in the Thakka diet, the shoulds of dieting. Oh, I should be, you know, um, I should be eating, you know, less carbs, I should be, you know, eating smaller snacks, I should be stopping, you know, I shouldn't be eating after, you know, 7pm or whatever. And we do that with, with exhaustion too, or I shouldn't be so tired, or I, or I should be getting this stuff done, or I, sh- you know, I should be more productive, or I, or I should be more responsible. All those things actually add to burnout, you know, because it's this mm. kind of constant, it's this constant stress. And that's what I, when I finally realized that every time I would let myself rest, I was never letting myself rest mentally because I always felt so guilty about it. That's when I realized that the rest that I needed was not just physical rest. It was mental rest and rest from my own kind of incessant cruel mind. Mm. And there's no, you know, like, you know, that's what meditation is for, I guess. But what I wanted to do was take, take time, take it like a significant amount of time where I, I really examined every time I let myself rest, what did I start saying to myself and then try to unpack that. And it took a long time. Yeah, and that is so cool. You took two years of rest. I did. I did. And I was, you know, people, 
have always asked, okay, so what do, what do you mean? Did you take two years of rest from exercise? Did you take two, <laughs> did you just do nothing for two years? And the answer is no, I exercised, I did stuff. I did a lot of stuff actually, but my priority was rest. So whenever I could rest, I did rest and I used that time to really, really examine the pressure that I was putting on myself and really examining why am I doing the things I'm doing? Am I doing the things I'm doing because I really want to and because they're really good for me and that they're really aligned with what I'm supposed to be doing? Or am I doing them because I feel like I should? Yeah. And that I, and, and where did that should come from? Is it really mine? Is it really something that I, that I'm aligned with? And a lot changed. I mean, I moved cities that year. I changed careers. I, I, um, I did, I, I bought a house. I, I, I did, I wrote the fuck it diet. Like I did so much during that time, but it was all out of saying no to other things. Mm. And then what, what kind of filled the vacuum there when I wasn't resting were the things that I really wanted to be doing and really were supposed to be doing. So it, it was a very, and it was fun to say, Oh, I'm on, I'm on two years of rest. Like it was, <laughs> it was fun and funny to me, but it was also true. You know, it really yeah. was something that I was trying to do. Um, and then my, my second book, which is finished now, it's not out yet. It's coming out in February. Um, I originally, I originally wrote the proposal for the book and submitted it to my publisher with the title, Two Years of Rest. <laughs> and then as I wrote the book, I realized that the book wasn't like it. What that made it sound like is that the book was going to be all about the rest. But really what the book is about is all about the exhaustion that led to the rest. <laughs> so now it's called Tired as Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> But okay, I... I usually ask this in the beginning, but I will mm -hmm. ask you this now. Mm -hmm. So Caroline, what is health for you today? Mm. Such a good question. To me, health is a really kind of whole body, whole life, holistic thing. It's not just, oh, look at your blood. Like, is your, you know, are your blood stats and your blood levels, are they okay? Oh, good. You're healthy. To me, it's mental health, it's your connections and your relationships in your life, it's um, having a healthy relationship with your emotions, and being able to take care of yourself and your physical health in a way that does not feel like punishment, that feels sustainable, that feels wholesome and happy and um And really just feels like you're taking care of, of your whole being and your soul and, and all of you. I, I think that in some ways that makes it a lot more complicated and in other ways it makes it a lot more um, joyful and, and, um, and approachable because it's not like, oh, do this one thing, cut out these things and exercise for 45 minutes every single day and then you'll be healthy, which, you know, doesn't really actually guarantee anything. It's more, are you sleeping? Are you stressed out of your mind? Um, 
all of those things I think are really, really important. And we're never going to figure it out completely. You know, there's never going to be this like perfect static place of health. I don't think that exists. Um, but it's sort of this well-rounded approach to, to living. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. It's really, you know, in this diet culture, it's really easy to forget about mental health mm. and mm. just focus, you know, like on, on physical appearances and blood work. Mm -hmm. Right. I want to end this conversation with a testimonial from you when you have healed your relationship with food, when you have, you know, like eaten all the Oreos and mm -hmm. eaten to the other side, how is life? Ah, that's a great question. So really life is, it's almost like life starts then because you have the, the energy, the mental energy, the physical energy to actually focus on your life and to actually um, heal any emotional things that may be going on. You have the energy to have other passions and to think about other things and to enjoy going out to dinner, not obsessing over what you're eating and what's going to happen if you eat the whole plate. You're actually able to be more present, more in the moment and able, you know, to, to kind of relate back to the, the question about what health is, you're actually able to have a, this well-rounded life that, that I think adds or, or really supports well, well-rounded health and, and happiness. And, um, the question sort of when you heal your relationship with food is, okay, so what next? Like what, what else do I want to focus on and what else do I want to do you know yeah wow oh my god this is so much hope please everyone stop dieting <laughs> oh my god think about you know women what we could be and accomplish if uh, if we weren't you know like this beauty sick and dieting all the time We would like yeah. run the world. It's a huge distraction. It is a huge distraction. And just think that what they do to people in cults when they are indoctrinating people is they severely restrict their food and they severely restrict their sleep. Yeah. And oh that creates God. a perfect environment of of survival and, and brain and brainwashing. And it's this distraction that so many of us are kind of sleepwalking through life, obsessing over food and feeling like food addicts. And it doesn't have to be that way, but so many of us are stuck in that. And I don't want us to be anymore. I want us to be free. <laughs> yes. And um, that is so such an empowering message. And I, I want to say this, um, you, Uh, you live in a smaller body and mm -hmm. I live in a larger body and but the struggle is like the same um, and the harshness in our thoughts about beauty and size are are, are the same and mm. the suffering is real mm -hmm. um, for people living in larger bo bodies it's 
sometimes hard hard with you know like visiting doctors and mm-hmm. and and other type of discrimination but that doesn't mean that you have to diet because right. that means that you need people who understand you in your life so yes. you can be strong grow and advocate for yourself um, yes. so instead of you know like um fitting into this mad world and try to to you know like bend yourself yes be you and yeah the fuck you diet is so amazing and <laughs> so revolutionary and you can find it on amazon for us here in sweden and where do i found you if i want to you know follow your work and if you want to follow along I am on Instagram begrudgingly. No, I love Instagram. <laughs> I love and hate Instagram. I'm on Instagram at the fuck it diet. And you can also go to the fuck or caroline and find all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Thank you, Carolina. And thank you for joining us here in Sweden. It's time for a Swedish revolution and it starts with you and please if you like this uh, episode so share it in your social channels and tell all of your friends and read caroline's book uh, but okay thank you everyone for listening and share this if you like this and see you next week En podd från Aller Media.